Citing the Tashahud Ta'awuz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalib the Masih the Fifth, Ayyadullah Allah ibn Salazi stated, Today I will start narrating the accounts of Hazrat Usman radiallahu anhu, which shall continue for a number of weeks. The first thing to be remembered in relation to Hazrat Usman radiallahu anhu is that he did not personally take part in the Battle of Badr. However, he was among those eight fortunate companions who were given a portion of the spoils of the war by the Holy Prophet and were as such considered to have taken part in the battle. His name was Usman bin Affan bin Abdul As bin Umayyah bin Abdul Shams bin Abdul Manaf bin Qusay bin Kilab. As such, his ancestry connects to the Holy Prophet in the fifth generation through Abdul Manaf. The name of Hazrat Usman's mother was Arwa bin Qurayz. The name of the maternal grandmother of Hazrat Usman was Umm Hakim Bayda bin Abdul Muttalib who was the sister of Hazrat Abdullah, the father of the Holy Prophet According to one narration, the father of the Holy Prophet Hazrat Abdullah and the maternal grandmother of Hazrat Usman, Umm Hakim Bayda bint Abdul Muttalib, were twins. The mother of Hazrat Usman, Arwa bint Qurayz accepted Islam following the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. She then migrated from Mecca to Medina and stayed there until she passed away during the caliphate of her son Hazrat Usman anhu. The father of Hazrat Usman passed away during the Jahiliyyah, i.e. the age of ignorance before the advent of Islam. With regards to the title of Hazrat Usman, it is said that during the Age of Ignorance, his title was Abu Amr. 
after his son Abdullah was born to him through Hazrat Ruqayyah, the daughter of the Holy Prophet He became known by the title of Abu Abdullah among the Muslims. According to Ibn Hisaq, the Holy Prophet gave his daughter Hazrat Ruqayyah in marriage to Hazrat Usman. Hazrat Ruqayyah passed away during the days of the Battle of the Badr. Following this, the Holy Prophet gave his other daughter, Hazrat Umm Kulthum, the sister of Hazrat Ruqayyah, in marriage to Hazrat Usman. As such, he became known as Dhun Nurain. It has also been stated in a narration that he was called Dhun Nurain due to the fact that he recited a large portion of the Holy Quran during the Tahajjud prayer every night. Since the Holy Quran is light, and so is waking in the night to offer prayers, he became known as Dhun Nurain, or the possessor of two lights. This is also one narration. According to an authentic narration in relation to the birth of Hazrat Usman, it is mentioned that he was born in Makkah six years after the year of the elephant. It has also been stated that he was born in Taif. He was approximately five years younger than the Holy Prophet With regards to his acceptance of Islam, it is related by Yazid bin Roman. Once, both Hazrat Usman bin Affan and Hazrat Talha bin Ubaidullah followed Hazrat Zubair bin Awam and went to the Holy Prophet The Holy Prophet presented the message of Islam to both of them, recited a portion of the Holy Quran, informed them of the responsibilities placed upon them by Islam, and informed them of the honor and respect that would be bestowed upon them by Allah the Almighty. Upon this, both Hazrat Usman and Hazrat Talha accepted Islam and testified to the truthfulness of the Holy Prophet Following this, Hazrat Usman said, O Messenger of Allah, I have just returned from Syria. When we had set up our camp between Ma'an and Zarqa, Ma'an is a city in the south of Jordan, near the border of the Hijaz and Zarqa is situated close to Mu'an. Nevertheless, he says, we had set up camp and were asleep when an announcer called out, Awake, O you who are asleep, as certainly Ahmed has appeared in Mecca. When we then returned, we came to know about you. Hazrat Usman was amongst the very pioneer Muslims converting before the Holy Prophet ﷺ entered Dari Arkham. After accepting Islam, he also suffered persecution. Musa bin Muhammad narrates on the authority of his father that after Hazrat Usman bin Affan anhu accepted Islam, his uncle, Hakam bin Abil As bin Umayyah grabbed him and tied him up with a rope. He said to him, You forsake the religion of your forefathers to accept this new faith. By God, I will not untie you until you relinquish your new religion. To this, Hazrat Usman responded, I swear by God that never will I abandon nor renounce my faith. 
Hakam was compelled to release him, witnessing the unwavering faith of Hazrat Usman radiallahu anhu. The following is the background to Hazrat Usman's marriage with Hazrat Ruqayya. Prior to the Holy Prophet's claim to prophethood, Hazrat Ruqayya was betrothed to the son of Abu Lahab, Utba, whilst her sister, Hazrat Umm Kulthum, was due to marry Utba's brother, Utayba. After Surah Al-Masad, or Surah Al-Lahab, was revealed, their father, Abu Lahab, said to his sons that he was ceased to have any connection with them should they fail to sever their relations with the daughters of Muhammad Therefore, before the marriage ceremony took place, they separated from both sisters. Thereafter, in Makkah, Hazrat Usman married Hazrat Ruqayya and migrated with her to Abyssinia. Hazrat Usman and Hazrat Ruqayya were paradigms of beauty. Thus, it was said, Meaning that the most beautiful couple that anyone had set their eyes on was Hazrat Ruqayya and her husband Hazrat Usman. It is narrated by Abdurrahman bin Usman Qurashi that the Holy Prophet visited his daughter's house when she was washing the head of Hazrat Usman. The Holy Prophet said to her, my dear daughter, take good care of Abu Abdullah, for indeed from among my companions he has the closest resemblance to me in morals. Ibn Ishaq states, with relation to the migration, the Holy Prophet witnessed the trials and tribulations his companions were forced to suffer, whereas he was in relative security due to his status in the eyes of Allah and because of his uncle, Abu Talib. He realized he possessed no power or sway to alleviate the hardships they were facing. Whilst he was in relative security, he was powerless to prevent the injustices the companions were being inflicted with. Although he was safe to a certain degree from the injustices, he did not have the power to stop the atrocities being committed against his companions the Holy Prophet told his companions that they should head to Abyssinia a land of peace and security where they would find a king who committed no injustices upon the people and they should stay there until Allah the Almighty alleviated them of their current plight Anxious of the troubles they faced owing to their faith, they were forced to flee for the sake of Allah and set off for Abyssinia. This was the first ever migration in Islam. The companions migrating to Abyssinia included Hazrat Usman radiallahu anhu, who travelled with his wife Hazrat Ruqayya radiallahu anha, the daughter of the Holy Prophet Hazrat Anas anhu relates that when Hazrat Usman departed for Abyssinia, he was accompanied by Hazrat Ruqayya, the daughter of the Holy Prophet. 
there was a delay in the news regarding them reaching the Holy Prophet i.e. he did not know whether they had migrated, where they had reached and how they were. So he went out and continued to wait for news about them. Then a woman came and she gave the Holy Prophet news with regards to them. Thereupon the Holy Prophet stated that after Prophet Lot, Hazrat Usman is the first person to have migrated alongside his family in the way of Allah. Hazrat Saad relates that when Hazrat Usman bin Affan anhu made the intention to migrate to Abyssinia, the Holy Prophet instructed him, Take Ruqayya along with you, for I feel that each of you will continue to reassure the other. That is to say that if both are together, they will continue to support one another. The Holy Prophet then said to Hazrat Asma, the daughter of Hazrat Abu Bakr to go and find out where they have departed or not, where they have reached and what is the situation. When she returned, Hazrat Abu Bakr was also with the Holy Prophet She said that Hazrat Usman set forth towards the sea having sat Hazrat Ruqayya upon the saddle of the mule. Upon this, the Holy Prophet stated, O Abu Bakr, after Prophet Abraham and Prophet Lot, these two are the first to migrate. There is mention of the return from Abyssinia as well. Ibn Ishaq states, word reached the companions of the Holy Prophet who migrated to Abyssinia that the people of Mecca had accepted Islam. Thereupon, these emigrants made their way back from Abyssinia to Mecca. As they reached near Mecca, they realized that this was a false rumor, and so they entered Mecca covertly or by coming under the protection of another. Some among them also migrated to Medina and participated in the battles of Badr and Uhud alongside the Holy Prophet whilst others among them are those who were detained in Makkah by the idolaters and were therefore unable to participate in the Battle of Badr and other battles. Among those who migrated to Medina having returned from Abyssinia were Hazrat Usman and his wife Hazrat Ruqayya, daughter of the Holy Prophet In one book it is mentioned that Hazrat Usman remained in Abyssinia for a few years. Thereafter, he was among those companions who returned to his homeland having received the false rumor of the Quraysh, having accepted Islam. Having reached there, they realized that this was nothing but a false rumor. And upon this, some of them returned to Abyssinia, yet Hazrat Usman remained in Mecca until he had the means to migrate to Medina. When the Holy Prophet instructed all of his companions to migrate to Medina, Hazrat Usman anhu also undertook the migration along with his family. In one narration, it is stated that Hazrat Usman migrated once again to Abyssinia. But in the majority of books of history, there is no mention of Hazrat Usman migrating to Abyssinia a second time. <coughs> As it were, with regards to the background and details of the second migration to Abyssinia that are mentioned in the books of history and ahadith, Careful and meticulous historians do not accept them completely as they are, because from the context it seems impossible. 
Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has presented his research whilst mentioning the migration to Abyssinia. Even though I have mentioned some of this in the past with regards to other companions, nonetheless it is necessary to also mention it here. The research of Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib is as follows. When the suffering of the Muslims had reached its limit and the Quraysh continued to aggravate the affliction on the Muslims, the Holy Prophet instructed Muslims to migrate to Abyssinia and said, The king of Abyssinia is just and equitable. None are subjected to oppression under his rule. The country of Habasha, which is known as Ethiopia or Abyssinia in the English language, is situated to the northeast in the continent of Africa. It is exactly opposite to southern Arabia, and with the exception of the Red Sea, no country intercedes it. During that era, a strong Christian sovereignty was established in Abyssinia, and the king was referred to as the Negus. As a matter of fact, the ruler there is still called upon by the same name. This was when Hazrat Mirza Bashir Masaib wrote this. Arabia had business relations with Abyssinia, and in the era that we are currently mentioning, the capital of Abyssinia was Aksum, which is located near the present-day city of Adowa, and until now is considered a sacred city. In those days, Aksum was the centre of a very powerful sovereignty. During that time, the personal name of the Negus was Ashama, who was a just, intelligent and powerful king. In any case, when the pains of the Muslims reached their limits, the Holy Prophet ﷺ instructed that those who could afford should migrate to Abyssinia. Therefore, upon the instruction of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, in the month of Rajab 5 Nabawi, 11 men and 4 women migrated to Abyssinia. The well-known names among them were as follows. Hazrat Usman bin Affan and his wife Ruqayya, the daughter of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, Abdurrahman bin Auf, Zubair bin Awam, Abu Hudayfa bin Utba, Usman bin Maz'un, Mus'ab bin Umair, Abu Salama bin Abdul Asad, and his wife, Umm Salama. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Amasai further writes, It is very strange that the majority of these pioneer immigrants were those who belonged to powerful tribes of the Quraysh, and the weaker were few and far between. This illustrates two things. Firstly, even those who belonged to the powerful tribes of the Quraysh were not safe from the cruelties of the Quraysh. Secondly, Weak people such as slaves, etc., at that time were in such a grave state of weakness and misery that they were not even able to migrate. Travelling south, when the immigrants reached Shaiba, which was a seaport in Arabia at the time, by the grace of Allah, they found a trade ship which was just ready to leave for Abyssinia. And thus, all of them boarded in security. When the Quraysh were informed of this, they were deeply enraged that this prey has slipped their hands. Hence, they pursued these immigrants. But when their men reached the coast, the ship had already departed. And for this reason, they returned disappointed. 
Upon reaching Abyssinia, the Muslims found a life of great peace and protection from the cruels of the Quraysh after much difficulty and prayers. However, as some historians have mentioned, it had not been long since the immigrants had migrated to Abyssinia when a wandering rumor reached them that all of the Quraysh had accepted Islam and Mecca was now a place of complete peace and security. The result of this news was that most immigrants returned immediately and when they reached near Mecca, they found that this news was false. Now they were confronted with great difficulty. Ultimately, some returned, while others secretly or under protection of an influential and powerful individual entered Mecca. This incident occurred in Shawal of five Nabawi. In other words, the duration between the commencement of migration and the return of the immigrants was only two and a half to three months. In actuality, although this was a completely false and unsubstantiated rumour which was probably spread in order to lure the immigrants to Abyssinia back and to put them in difficulty, as a matter of fact, on closer investigation, this rumour and the tale of the immigrants' return in itself seems to be baseless. Nonetheless, if it is taken as true, the incident mentioned in various ahadiths could be hidden beneath the surface. If we analyse it from the context that some narrations record that Hazrat Usman stayed in Abyssinia for a few years, then this narration would prove to be false if we accept this narration. But if we accept the earlier narration to be correct, then that means that they returned after three or four months. Nonetheless, according to the research of Hazrat Mirza Bashir Masahib, this entire incident is false. He further writes, If it is taken as true, the incident mentioned in various ahadiths could be hidden beneath the surface. As mentioned in Bukhari, once the Holy Prophet recited verses of Surah Najm in the courtyard of the Kaaba. At that time, many a chieftain of the disbelievers were also present along with the Muslims. When the Holy Prophet completed the chapter, he fell into prostration, and with him all the Muslims and the disbelievers fell into prostration as well. The reason behind the prostration of the disbelievers has not been mentioned in our hadith. But it seems that apparently the Holy Prophet recited the verses of God in such a manner as touched the cords of the heart. Those verses were such as particularly illustrated the unity of God, His power and majesty in an extremely eloquent and perspicuous manner, and His favours were reminded of. Then the Quraysh were warned in a very majestic and awe-inspiring manner that in case they did not refrain from their evil doings, they would meet the same end as past nations because they rejected the messengers of God. Then, at the conclusion of these verses, it was ordered that come and prostrate before Allah. After the recitation of these verses, the Holy Prophet and all the Muslims fell into prostration at once. And as a result, these words and this sight had such a miraculous effect on the Quraysh as they also fell into prostration involuntarily. This should not be surprising, for under such circumstances as have been mentioned above, the human heart at times falls in awe and powerlessly commits such a deed as is against its actual principles and religion. It is not necessary that one acts in this way only after professing belief. 
at times one can do this involuntarily. Therefore, at times we have witnessed that during a severe and sudden affliction, even an atheist cries out, O God, O God, or O Ram, Ram. I have also asked some atheists, and they agreed that this, in fact, is absolutely true. Despite the fact that they do not believe in God, when they are faced with such danger, sometimes they utter the word God involuntarily. The Quraysh were not even atheists, and they actually believed in the being of God. Hence, after the recitation of this majestic word, full of awe, the community of Muslims all at once fell into prostration. It had such a miraculous effect that the Quraysh powerlessly fell into prostration as well. However, such an influence is usually temporary, and man quickly returns to his original state. As such, same was the case here, for when the Quraysh rose from prostration, they remained the very same idolaters they were before. It was not the case that they became monotheists after this. In any case, this occurrence is such as is substantiated by authentic ahadith. Hence, if the news of the return of the immigrants to Abyssinia is in fact true, it seems that the Quraysh, who were ever longing to have the immigrants of Abyssinia return, probably utilized this action to spread the rumor that the Quraysh of Makkah had become Muslims and that Makkah was now completely safe for Muslims. When this rumor reached the immigrants of Abyssinia, they were naturally delighted to hear it, and in the fervor of their delight, they quickly returned. When they were near Makkah, they were enlightened of the actual matter at hand, upon which some secretly, and others under the protection of a powerful and influential chieftain of the Quraysh, entered Makkah, while others set back again. Therefore, if there was any truth in the rumor that the Quraysh became Muslims, it was merely confined to the incident of the prostration upon the recitation of chapter and najm Allah knows best. In any case, if the immigrants of Abyssinia did in fact return, a majority of them sat back again. Moreover, since the Quraysh continued to progress in their affliction of suffering and their tyrannies were increasing day by day, other Muslims upon the instruction of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, began secret preparations to migrate as well. They began to leave gradually whenever they could find an opportunity to do so. This chain of migration was such that ultimately the number of immigrants to Abyssinia reached 101, 18 of whom were women. Very few Muslims were left in Makkah with the Holy Prophet ﷺ. Some historians have called this migration the second migration to Abyssinia. Then mentioning his own analysis on the topic, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib relates, However, there is another fact which makes the entire tale of this rumour and the return of the immigrants incredulous altogether. The beginning date of the migration to Abyssinia is mentioned as Rajab 5 Nabawi, and the date of prostration has been mentioned as Ramazan 5 Nabawi. An historical account state that as a result of this rumour, the return of the immigrants to Abyssinia occurred in Shawal 5 Nabawi. Therefore, the gap in time periods between the first migration and the return of the immigrants is merely two to three months. If the time period is calculated from the date of the prostration, the time is only one month. Now, in accordance with the circumstances of that era, it is categorically impossible 
for three trips to have been undertaken between Makkah and Abyssinia in such a small time period. In other words, first, the Muslims travelled from Makkah to Abyssinia, after which an individual from Makkah brought news to Abyssinia regarding the Quraysh's acceptance of Islam. Then the Muslims once again set off from Abyssinia and reached Makkah. The completion of these three trips, excluding the additional time that is consumed in various affairs, preparation, for example, etc., were absolutely impossible in such a short time frame. Furthermore, it is unpragmatic that two trips could have been completed between the time of prostration and the time of the alleged return of the immigrants to Abyssinia. At that time, in order to travel from Makkah to Abyssinia, one was required to first go south, then from there cross the Red Sea and reach the coast of Africa by ship, which was not always present. Then from the coast, further on to Aksum, the capital of Abyssinia, which was situated at quite a distance from the coast. And as per the slow mode of travel in that era, a trip of this magnitude could not have been performed in less than one and a half to two months. From this vantage point, the entire incident in itself turns out to be fabricated and baseless. If, hypothetically, there were some underlying truth, then it is no more than that which has been mentioned above. Allah knows best. Nevertheless, whatever the reasons were, Hazrat Usman returned from Abyssinia after a short time. The mention of his migration to Medina and the forming of his bond of brotherhood is such that Muhammad bin Jafir bin Zubair relates that when Hazrat Usman migrated from Makkah to Medina, he lived in the house of Hazrat Aus bin Thabit, brother of Hazrat Hassan bin Sabit from among the Banu Najjar tribe. Musa bin Muhammad relates from his father that the Holy Prophet ﷺ established a bond of brotherhood between Hazrat Usman and Hazrat Abdurrahman bin Auf. According to another narration, the bond of brotherhood was established between Hazrat Shaddad bin Aus's father, Hazrat Aus bin Sabit and Hazrat Usman. It is also stated that the bond of brotherhood was established between Hazrat Abu Ubada Saad bin Usman Zuraki and Hazrat Usman. According to one narration, the Holy Prophet established a bond of brotherhood between himself and Hazrat Usman. There is a narration of Ibn al-Labiba in At-Tabqat al-Kubra which states that in his final days when the enemy besieged Hazrat Usman, i.e. when the enemy besieged him, and imposed all kinds of restrictions on him. He peered from the window of a room above and inquired from the people if Talha was among them. They replied in the affirmative. Hazrat Usman inquired from Hazrat Talha, I ask you whilst bearing witness to Allah, do you recall when the Holy Prophet was establishing bonds of brotherhood between the Muhajireen and the Ansar? He established his bond of brotherhood with me. In other words, the Holy Prophet ﷺ established a bond of brotherhood between him and Hazrat Usman. Hazrat Talha replied, By Allah, it is indeed true. Upon this, the enemy who had surrounded the house of Hazrat Usman questioned Hazrat Talha as why he had said that. 
With great courage, Hazrat Talha replied, Hazrat Usman called Allah as his witness when he asked me, and the matter which he inquired of me was one that had taken place before my very eyes. How could I have not then testified to it? I cannot utter a lie. Therefore, oppose me however much you want. In regards to Hazrat Ruqayya's demise and the marriage of to Hazrat Ummi Kulsum, it is mentioned by Abdullah bin Muknuf bin Haritha Ansari that when the Holy Prophet departed for the Battle of Badr, he left Hazrat Usman with Hazrat Ruqayya. Hazrat Ruqayya was unwell at the time and passed away on the same day Hazrat Zayed bin Harsa brought the good news to Medina regarding the victory which Allah the Almighty had granted to the Holy Prophet at Badr. The Holy Prophet granted Hazrat Usman a share from the spoils of the battle and his share was equal in measure to those who had participated in the battle of Badr. After the demise of Hazrat Ruqayya, the Holy Prophet gave his daughter Hazrat Ummi Kulthum in marriage to Hazrat Usman. Hazrat Abu Huraira relates that the Holy Prophet met Hazrat Usman at the entrance of the mosque and said, Usman, this is Gabriel, and he has informed me that Allah the Almighty has settled your marriage with Ummi Kulthum with the same amount of haqmah as Ruqayya's, and for you to afford her with the same kind treatment. In other words, Allah the Almighty revealed to the Holy Prophet that his second daughter, Umm Kulthum, should be married to Hazrat Usman. Hazrat Aisha anha, relates that when the Holy Prophet settled the marriage of Umm Kulthum with Hazrat Usman, he said to Hazrat Umm Ayman, Prepare my daughter, Umm Kulthum, and take her to Usman, and beat the drum before her as you go along. Thus, she did exactly that. After three days, the Holy Prophet went to visit Umm Kulthum and stated, My beloved daughter, what do you think of your husband? Hazrat Umm Kulthum replied, He is the most excellent husband. Hazrat Umm Kulthum and Hazrat Usman's companionship remained until 9 Hijri, after which she became unwell and passed away. The Holy Prophet led her funeral prayer and then sat beside her grave. Hazrat Anas relates that he saw the Holy Prophet sat beside the grave of Hazrat Umm Kulthum whilst tears were flowing from his eyes. The incident has been recorded in Bukhari as follows. Hilal narrated from Hazrat Anas bin Malik who stated, We were present at the funeral of the daughter of the Holy Prophet The Holy Prophet was sat beside the grave and I saw that tears were flowing from his eyes. According to another narration, upon the demise of Hazrat Umm Kulthum, the Holy Prophet stated, If I had a third daughter, I would have also married her to Usman. Hazrat ibn Abbas narrates that the Holy Prophet was passing by a place and noticed Hazrat Usman was sat there and was crying out of sorrow upon the demise of Hazrat Umm Kulthum. The narrator of the tradition states that at the time both of his companions, i.e. Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar were with the Holy Prophet. The Holy Prophet asked, O Usman, why are you crying? Hazrat Usman submitted, O Messenger of Allah, 
The reason why I am crying is because my relationship with you as a son-in-law has now ended, as both daughters had passed away. The Holy Prophet ﷺ stated, Do not cry. I swear by him in whose hands is my life that even if I had 100 daughters, I would marry all of them to you, one after the other, and not a single one of them would remain. In any case, this was an expression of their mutual love. Hazrat Usman was worried, but the Holy Prophet ﷺ granted him assurance that this relationship of theirs would continue and remain established. The remaining accounts will be narrated in future, God willing. As I have been drawing attention in the previous Friday sermons towards prayers, continue to pray for the Ahmadis in Pakistan. The opponents, in their estimation, are continuing in their attempts to tighten their grip on the Ahmadis. However, they fail to realize that there is a higher being, God Almighty, whose divine decree is manifesting. And in fact, the net around them is continuously getting smaller, from which there is no escape. May Allah the Almighty grant them sense, and may they see reason, and act with justice, and refrain from committing injustices and cruelties. Also, pray for the Ahmadis in Algeria, and may they remain steadfast upon their faith. Similarly, Ahmadis are facing opposition in various other places as well. May Allah grant protection to every Ahmadi wherever they may be. After the prayers, I will lead some funeral prayers in absentia and will also mention their details. The first mention is of respected Mulana Sultan Mahmud Anwar Sahib, who previously served as Nazir Slawar Shahad Markaziya. Nazir Khidmat al-Dirveshan and Nazir Islawar Shahad Rishtanata. He passed away on 11th of January in Rabwa at the age of approximately 88. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. His father's name was Chaudhary Muhammadin Sahib and mother's name was Rahmat Bibi. His father accepted Ahmadiyyat after taking birth at the hands of Hazrat Khalid Masih II the second of the Allahu in 1928. Hazrat Mulana Sultan Anwar Sahib was their only son. Mulana Sultan Mahmud Anwar Sahib attained his education up till middle school. Thereafter, he did waqf and entered Jamia Ahmadiyya in 1946. After the creation of Pakistan, he moved to Jamia Ahmadiyya in Ahmednagar and gave his Maulvi Fazl exam in 1952. And in April 1956, he graduated from Jamia Ahmadiyya with a Shahid degree. His marriage took place with Mahmuda Shokat Sahiba, daughter of Chaudhary Saududdin Sahib, and the Nikah was led by Mulana Jalaluddin Sham Sahib in 1960 at the occasion of the Jalsa Salana. He has four sons and two daughters. One of his sons, Hassan Mahmood Sahib, is a life devotee and currently serving in Tahrik Jadid offices in Rabwa. Respected Molana Sahib's first appointment was in Gujarat, and he also served in various cities in Pakistan as a missionary. From 1974 to 1978, he served in Ghana. I was also there at the time. 
and I observed that he served there with a very selfless spirit. From 1982 to 1983, he served as Secretary Majlis Karpardaz. And in 1983, he was appointed as the President of Majlis Karpardaz. From 83 to 1998, he served as Nazir Slaur Shah Markaziya. And after that, he served as Nazir Khidmat al until 2011. From 2011 to 2017, he served as Nazir Rishtanata and retired in 2017 owing to his ill health. The deceased had a great skill in tabligh, communicating with others and delivering speeches. He had countless discussions with people from different schools of thoughts, as well as religious scholars on various religious topics. And he would always give very comprehensive and scholarly answers. As I mentioned, he was a great speaker and would captivate his audience. The various missionaries who worked with him have stated that he would always guide them along in their work. Every one of them has stated that he would treat them with great kindness. and that he was regular in offering the Tajjid prayers and was devoted to worship and would advise the other missionaries to also offer the Tajjid prayers and excel in worship. He displayed an extraordinary standard of loyalty and obedience to Khilafat. He had to experience a period of trial during the era of the fourth Khalifa, Rahimahullah. However, he endured that whilst demonstrating complete obedience. In fact, someone even said to him that previously he was serving as a Nazir, but now he had to work under a Nazir. And he replied, various missionaries and his own daughter as well have mentioned this, that he replied, the Khalifa of the time knows best as to where and how one's services are needed. I have done waqf. Therefore, even if I am instructed to sweep the floor, then that is what I will do and follow the instructions of the Khalifa of the time. Subsequently, Allah the Almighty then improved his circumstances and I believe that this outstanding level of loyalty and obedience he showed was granted acceptance and he was once again appointed as a member of Sadr Anjuman Ahmadiyya and also a Nazir. Wherever he served, for example in Karachi and various other places, he would always show complete cooperation and obedience to the local Amir. May Allah the Almighty grant him his forgiveness and mercy and enable his progeny to continue his good deeds. The deceased also rendered various services in the field of academia and wrote various books. One of his books is The Importance of Kalima Taiba and Its Establishment and the True Identity of an Ahmadi. The second book he wrote was Allah the Almighty, the Holy Prophet, the Holy Quran and the Holy Kaaba. Other books he wrote were on the issue relating to the total number of the members of the Jamaat. Then another book was on the establishment of the Sharia and the factors as to why people have failed in their attempts to establish it. Another book was on the subject of the punishment for blasphemy against the Holy Prophet These were the books he had written and thus rendered a great service in the field of academia. As I mentioned, he worked in a very diligent manner. May Allah grant him his mercy and forgiveness.
The next funeral is of Molana Muhammad Umar Sahib, who has previously served as Nazir Slaur Shah Markaziya Qadian and was the son of PK Ibrahim Sahib. He passed away on 21st of January at the age of 87. Surely to Allah you belong and to him shall we return. The deceased was originally from Kerala. His father Ibrahim Kati Sahib was a bitter opponent of the Jamaat. Ten years prior to the birth of the deceased, his father travelled to Bombay for trade purposes. In those days, many Ahmadis were involved in the trade industry in Bombay. He met some Ahmadis from Malabar, Bombay, and they had a discussion about Ahmadi beliefs. Then in 1924, when Hazrat Khalib II went to Bombay, at that time, Ibrahim Kuti Sahib had the honour of doing bayat at his hands and thus joined Ahmadiyyat. Later, he also had the opportunity of seeing Hazrat Khalid II in Qadian as well. Mulana Umar Sahib went to Qadian in 1954 when Madrasa Ahmadiyya was established anew after the partition. He enrolled in the Madrasa in 1955 and successfully completed the Malvi Fazil from Madrasa Ahmadiyya and Punjab University in 1961 after which he taught in the madrasa for one year. When he was a student, upon the desire of Hazrat Bhai Abdul Rahim Sahib Qadiani, a companion of the Promised Messiah, the deceased visited his home every morning for about a year, where he would recite the Holy Quran aloud. From 1962, he began his work in the field of Dublik. He carried this work out in the large cities of India, and served as a very successful missionary. He would deliver speeches during conventions held for the propagation of Islam Ahmadiyyat. He took part in the debate of Yadgir, and in light of specific instructions from Hazrat Khalid Musi the Fourth Rahimahullah, he rendered great services during the historic debate in Kumbatur, which spanned nine consecutive days, and was also attended by Mulana Dost Muhammad Shahi Sahib and Hafiz Muzaffar Sahib as the central representative. Once in appreciation of his work, Hazrat Klipnasi IV Rahimahullah stated in a sermon, There are some Jamaats where there is only one single person who immediately shoulders the entire responsibility of translating and then disseminates it widely, meaning translating the sermons right away. And by the grace of God Almighty, the standard of such Jamaats are increasing, as the sermon of the Khalifa is available for them right away. Thus, they become informed of the matters immediately. There are some Jamaats in South India where Urdu is not understood. Thus, we have a missionary there, Mawli Muhammad Umar Sahib, to whom God Almighty has bestowed a passion for this work. As soon as he hears the words, he translates them right away and then immediately sends them to all the Jamaats. Thus, he used to carry out this work with great dedication. He also had the honour to serve in Palestine for about one year. He also translated the Holy Quran, various books of the Promised Messiah and treaties into Malayalam and Tamil. In 2007, I appointed him as the Nazir Islawarshad Markaziya, then additional Nazir Islawarshad Talimul Quran and Waqfiarzi. And then he also had the opportunity to serve as Naib Nazir Allah. He served in all of these capacities in an excellent manner. After graduating from Madrasa Ahmadiyya, he served the community for 53 years. 
He is survived by four daughters, sons-in-law, grandchildren and great-grandchildren as well. He had a passion for serving the community. Even when he was on personal trips with his family, he would do the Jamaat work then as well and would especially be occupied with various translation work. The National President of Jamaat in Sri Lanka writes that the golden time will always be etched into the history of Ahmadiyyat in Sri Lanka when, in 1978, Mulana Sahib was first appointed as a central missionary under the blessed guidance of Hazrat Khalid Masih III Rahimahullah. There was a visible rejuvenation of spiritual passion, reformation and positive change in the Jamaat. Thus, Mulana Sahib's service there is deeply respected. In 1994, he delivered an excellent speech at the large Ram Krishna Hall in Colombo on the topic of peace and unity, which was listened to by more than 400 people. Among them were the national president of the Ram Krishna movement, as well as the country's Hindu culture minister, Honorable Dev Raj, who were completely raptured by the Molana's speech and complimented it very much because in his speech Molana Sahib recited mantras from the Gita which he used to prove the truthfulness of the Holy Prophet It is for this reason that his historic address is still commended to this day. He translated four books of the Promised Messiah into Tamil and himself wrote seven other books in Tamil on different topics. He initiated the magazine Samadana Vazri in Tamil Nadu district and from there sent it to other districts for a very long time. May Allah the Almighty treat the deceased with forgiveness and mercy and elevate his station and may he enable his progeny to remain dutifully attached to the Jumat. The next funeral is of respected Habib Ahmed Sahib, who was a missionary of the Jamaat and was a son of Muhammad Ismail Sahib from Factory Area in Rabwa. He passed away on 25th of December in Islamabad at the age of 64 due to a heart attack. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He graduated from Jamia in 1979, after which he was able to serve in various districts of Pakistan. From 1999 to 2003, he served in Nigeria. He served as the Amir and missionary in charge from September 1998 to October 2000. He served with great humility and meekness. Aside from administrative matters, he rendered great services when it came to the work of moral training and education of members. He is survived by his wife, three daughters and two sons. May Allah the Almighty treat him with forgiveness and mercy and enable his children to remain firmly attached to the Jamaat. The next funeral is of respected Badr Zaman Sahib, who worked in Vukalte Mal, UK, for some time. He passed away on 3rd of January. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was very sincere and hard working. He was born in Amritsar in 1944 and was an Ahmadi by birth. While he was serving in the government, he also served as district guide of Quetta 
and then was also the Nazim and Saul of Lodjistan. In 1986, a case was filed against him due to being a member of the Jamaat and thus became a prisoner in the way of Allah. From 1995 to 1999, he served in Vgalte Mal Awal in Rabwa. Then he came to London where he worked in the Rakim Press and then for 17 years in additional Vgalte Mal in London. May Allah the Almighty treat him with forgiveness and mercy. The next funeral is of respected Mansoor Ahmed Tahseen Sahib, son of Mawli Muhammad Ahmed Naim Sahib, who was a missionary of the Jamaat. Mansoor Sahib was a worker in the Ihtisab department of Nazarat Muriyama, Rabwa. He had come to London and was staying with his son, but he passed away according to divine decree on 30th of December at the age of 70. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He had the opportunity to serve in various Jamaat offices for approximately 25 years. He was a very sociable, devout and compassionate individual. He had a great bond of love with Khilafat and would encourage others to also form a bond with Khilafat. He would resolve matters with patience and tolerance. Usually the complex matters would be assigned for him to deal with and often both parties would come to the office in a state of rage. But they would control their anger and emotions on seeing his loving and affectionate conduct and thus the matters would be resolved. He had such a passion to serve the Jamaat that his wife writes that on the morning of his daughter, Dr. Faria Mansour's Valima, he got ready early morning and went to the office. His wife said, Today is the day of the wedding. At least you ought to have taken a day off for work today. He replied by saying, The wedding ceremony is at 2 p.m. Why should one waste time? At present, I am going to the office and will return in time for the ceremony. He had great respect and honour for his seniors. If he held a different opinion to them, he would always present his viewpoint whilst maintaining respect and decorum. He is survived by his wife, Kushanda Sahiba, two sons and two daughters. May Allah bestow his forgiveness and mercy upon him. I knew him from childhood and he was in the same class. I always saw that he was a very honourable and would always be smiling and had a jovial nature. He would never become angry, nor would he quarrel with anyone, and these qualities remained with him until the very end, owing to which he was able to render his services in reconciling matters. The next funeral and mention is of Dr. Idi Ibrahim Mwanga Sahib of Tanzania, who passed away on 9th of December at the age of 73. Verily to Allah we belong, and to him shall we return. He studied medicine from Makarera University of Uganda and by the grace of Allah he had the honour of being the first local Ahmadi doctor of East Africa. Dr. Saib had the opportunity to perform bayat in his youth. During his school days he would attend all the religious gatherings. Baseless allegations levelled against the Jamaat by so-called Islamic scholars motivated him to learn about the Jamaat. In those days he met Sheikh Abu Talib Sandi Sahib who was a missionary of the Jamaat and also his relative, and discussed the allegations with him. Sheikh Saib not only gave detailed responses to the false allegations, but he also showed him the Swahili translation of the Holy Quran and other books published by the Ahmadiyya Jamaat. After studying these books, Dr. Saib performed the bed. 
By the grace of Allah, he fulfilled his pledge until his last breath. He was always occupied in propagating the message of Islam Ahmadiyya to every member of society. He had a passion for propagating the message, as a result of which he was well known among Ahmadis as well as non-Ahmadis. Often he would carry Jamaat literature with him in his bag and would sell it in the market. People would ask him that he is a doctor and is selling books in the market. To this he would reply in a cheerful manner saying, When I am in the hospital, I treat the physical body, whereas at present I am treating the soul. Neither things can be separated from one another, nor should one of them be overlooked. He had a great love and reverence for Khilafat. He raised his children according to Islamic values, paying particular attention to their moral upbringing and education. He would offer the prayers in congregation at home along with his children. He had made a library at home, which included books on other topics as well as books of the Jamaat. He would pray for his children to remain firm upon Ahmadiyyat, the true Islam, and would also request others to pray for them also. He would always remain firmly attached with the Jamaat, and his children are also attached to the Jamaat. Like their father, they too have a virtuous disposition. May Allah the Almighty always keep them attached to the Jamaat, and may they fulfill the prayers and virtuous desires of their father. May Allah bestow his forgiveness and mercy upon Dr. Sahib and elevate his status. The next mention is of Sughra Begum Sahiba, who was the wife of Deen Muhammad Sahib Nangali, Darvesh of Qadian. She passed away on 6th of January at the age of 85. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. She was the daughter of Hazrat Hakim Muhammad Ramazan Sahib, a companion of the Promised Messiah She was regular in observing the prayers and fasts and would offer the Tajjid prayers regularly. She was very hospitable and patient, grateful, hardworking, compassionate and possessed many other qualities. She had a deep bond of love for Khilafat. For many years, she had the opportunity to serve as Secretary Khidmat al for Lajna Ma'illah. The deceased was a Musia and leaves behind two sons and two daughters. One of her sons, Bashiruddin Sahib, had the opportunity to serve for 40 years. Her other son, Muniruddin Sahib, is currently serving in Nizam Tamirat in Qadian. May Allah the Almighty bestow His forgiveness and mercy upon the deceased and may Allah enable her children to continue on her virtuous deeds. The next mention is of respected Chaudhary Karamatullah Sahib, who passed away on 26th of December at the age of 95 years. Verily to Allah you belong and to him shall we return. He was the paternal grandson of Hazrat Chaudhary Shah Deen Sahib of Ghataliya, a companion of the Promise of Sayyid Islam, who had the opportunity to pledge allegiance when the Promise of Sayyid Islam came to Sialkot. The deceased was a very pious and loving individual. He would look after the poor and care for those in need. He was a sincere individual who has always expressed gratitude to God Almighty in every situation. His son Suhail Sahib writes, Hospitality was a prominent characteristic of his, which would be manifested in particular when devotees of life or Jamaat office bearers would visit Badin in Sindh. He had the opportunity to serve in the Furqan force as well. From 1983 until 2018, he worked voluntarily in the office of Al-Fazl International. From the very beginning, he had offered his house to be used for Jamaat functions, and even in the current house, he dedicated one part of the house to be used as a Salat center.
his daughters and his son are also rendering their services for the Jamaat. One of his grandsons, Farhad Ahmed, is a missionary and serving here in the UK in the press and media department. May Allah the Almighty bestow his forgiveness and mercy upon the deceased and enable his children and his progeny to continue on his virtuous deeds. The next funeral is of Chaudhary Mom Munawar Ahmed Khalid Sahib from Germany, who passed away on 20th of August at the age of 85. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. The deceased had a strong bond with Nizam Jamaat and would fully partake in Tablighi and Tarbiyati activities. During different times he had the opportunity to serve as Sadr and General Secretary. He also had the opportunity to serve in different departments of Majlis and Sarullah. Furthermore, when he was in Pakistan, he had the opportunity to serve as the manager to look after the lands belonging to Tariq Jadid. He had a loyal bond with Khilafat. The deceased was a Musi. Aside from his wife, he is survived by five sons and six daughters. The next mention of Nasira Begum Saiba, wife of Ahmed Sadiq Tadik Mahmood Saib, who is a retired missionary from Bangladesh. She passed away according to divine decree on 27th, 28th of November. Very to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. The deceased was a daughter of Maulvi Muhammad Saib, former national president. The deceased was regular in observing the prayers and fasts, very devout, hospitable, patient and content. During Ramadan, she would regularly recite the Holy Quran and finish a complete reading. Aside from this, she had many other virtuous qualities. May Allah bestow His forgiveness and mercy upon her. The next mention is of Rafiuddin Bhatt Sahib. He passed away on 6th of December at the age of 92 years. Verily to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. He was the son of Hazrat Maulvi Khairuddin Sahib, who was a companion of the Promised Messiah. By the grace of Allah, he joined the institution of Al Wasiyat during his youth. He had the opportunity to serve the Jamaat in various capacities. He served as a local president of Badumali, district of Narawal, and also the Emir and local president of Kent. He had the opportunity to become a prisoner in the way of Allah. He is survived by four daughters and one son. One of his sons-in-law is Nasim Ahmed Sahib, who is a missionary and is currently serving in Nigeria. May Allah the Almighty bestow his forgiveness and mercy upon him. May Allah elevate the status of all the deceased members and grant them a place with their loved ones. As mentioned before, I will lead their funeral prayers in absentia. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Namadu, one is the inu, one is the kuru, one ominobi, one of the 